imitating this grand, beautiful picture and trying to live that out as a witness to the world. This is Pastor John. And this is Pastor Tim. And this is the Every Moment His podcast. And it kind of feels like we haven't done this for a while. Cause, yeah, because we haven't. Because we <laughs> haven't, actually. It's been vacation time. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Lovely. Speaking of vacation, we're sitting here in the lovely sanctuary of Holy Cross, looking at this vast display of Rocky Railway VBS. Yes, Vacation Bible School. We are in it, in the thick <laughs> yeah. of VBS. And yeah, it's going to be another awesome day of VBS. And I'm particularly excited that it's going to be 94 degrees when we start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the summertime. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to make sure the water games are thorough. Very, very wet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, Katie's done a great job with VBS. Yeah. Uh, all of our volunteers are just superstars. And love Absolutely. having the kids here, man. It's, it's, it's really is energizing, brings a lot of generations together. Mm -hmm. I've had so many good conversations with people uh, through the couple days we've been doing this. And, and the, the energy of the kids is infectious. So, it is. Yeah. So, hey, speaking of uh, kids, you know what every kid loves is a dad joke. And yeah. you told me before the podcast today that you actually have an, an original <laughs> yeah. Never heard before. A, a Timberone original so dad goat. Copyrighted. So, okay. Here it goes. All right. So every every parent, you know, you're on a road trip. Yeah. And you have multiple problems on a road trip with, with kids. Of course. But the one common problem is that you uh you pass the the rest stop mm -hmm. and about a minute after you pass the rest stop, um you hear I have to go to the bathroom. Right, and you didn't have to go to the bathroom two miles before. Yeah, when I asked. Yeah. yeah. So what do you call it when your kid says, I have to go to the bathroom, but you just passed the exit for the rest stop? What? It's a missed opportunity. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I, I thought That's so. That's a really good one. Because you could, you could use that multiple times on a road trip, and it's just a missed opportunity. Yep. So <laughs> hold it yeah. for 30 miles. <laughs> Until we get to that uh, mom-approved gas station. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Have you Restaurant. seen those on I-80? It says mom-approved bathrooms. No. <laughs> like basically like mom says it's clean enough to go to the bathroom. Sold. Yeah. So It's um, really good marketing. Okay. So uh, what are we doing today? So we are going to talk about um, cohabitation. So what do we mean when we say that word cohabitation? We should define that term. Sure, yeah. So, uh, well, well, just to kind of get us back on course a little bit, we're in this kind of series on the podcast talking about sexual ethics, sexual morality. Uh, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ inform our sexuality? And we've got a whole range of topics that I think are timely and good to talk about, um, whether it be uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, you know, uh, divorce, all those kinds of things. We're, we're talking about those. And, and right now, yeah, cohabitation would be, uh, we would just simply call it living together before marri marriage. Yeah. And, and it really, it, it's, broader than, it's broader than that in that, like, living in the same space is not the issue. 
Yeah. So so yeah. So to go a little deeper here, yeah. and it's it's not even just before marriage. Right. Sometimes people will cohabitate without any plans for marriage. They're right. just kind of living together, uh, and and sometimes it's living together before engagement or during engagement, but before marriage, and. Obviously, unless couples have an extreme amount of self-control, typically being sexually active as they're yeah. living together. Uh, so kind of jumping that marriage boundary for sexual activity yeah. uh, that God has placed. So, so they're, they're living and presenting as a married couple, but they're in, in fact not husband and wife. Exactly, yeah. And right. so they're, they've begun that sexual relationship, the two become one flesh, as God says, mm-hmm. but God has not given them to each other yet. Right, so things are out of order right. in, in the way that you do things. And so automatically, just a couple thoughts about this off the bat. Number one, I think that the biblical view of sexuality and when uh, sexuality should be experienced between a man and a woman that like that standard's going to look like way outdated and super mm-hmm. unreachable. Um, except, I don't think that God's the problem. I think that we are in in just the way that our expectations have shifted, mm-hmm. because our views on cohabitation have just shifted dramatically in the last, I would say, the last five to ten years, and then also in the last maybe f- half century. You know, because. Um, I think that some couples were cohabitating in like the 80s, 90s, but then it like accelerated Mm -hmm. so that most couples cohabitate before marriage. And also I think the church's response to it really kind of accelerated towards, let's just not talk about it. It's kind of a don't ask, don't tell kind of policy. And, and, And I think it's important that we as the church always recognize that whether it be the way you treat your neighbor or you know the way that you approach your finances, or the way that you uh, use your speech, uh, or the way that you approach sexuality. Jesus has something to say about mm-hmm. all of that, and he's let's quote Abraham Kuyper here that there's no square inch of this creation that Jesus does not declare mine. Yeah, yeah. So good. I think that's a good place to start, and and I think if we just look at you know the whole of the situation. Um, I think there's a there's a great temptation in the church, and I experienced this to say, at least they're here. You know, right. like they want to get married in the church. Yeah, and and good. You know, like so let's not bring up the awkwardness. Right. Of hey, you're kind of doing this in the wrong order. Um, let's just help them get into that faithful. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's there's some wisdom to that, but I think we need to discuss the heart. Right. We need to say, well there's a conversation between you and your creator that needs to happen here. Yeah. And are you willing to have that, even if it's going to be inconvenient? Well, and, I, and yeah, and I see that play out where, where people really don't want the, the issue to be discussed because, like, I want my son or daughter to get married or my grandchild to get married and stay in the church. And if we talk about cohabitation, they're going to say, oh, that's too strict, I'm out. Mm-hmm. But I think we really end up doing people a disservice. Um, now, some people may have had really bad experiences where the pastor was just really on a power trip and was like, you know, like, you can't, you know, yeah, just, just going to be really belligerent and yeah. impatient and not gracious. But, like, if we approach these things with gentleness and respect, uh, I, I think the main point is this. In coming to Jesus, 
we can never bypass repentance or bypass important conversations because when you see people come to Jesus, Jesus never bypasses the uncomfortable thing. Like Jesus is so inclusive and welcoming, but he also makes people uncomfortable and helps them think about bigger picture heart things. So for example, yeah. the rich young man that comes to Jesus and, and Jesus is like, uh, one thing you lack, right? Yeah. Uh, or remember the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, where Jesus is so gracious and so gentle with her, but he also talks to her. He says, you know, you have the man you're with is not your husband, and you're living with him. Jesus brings that up. Yeah. We don't want to, but but Jesus does. So. Yeah, so he, he doesn't dodge this issue, and, and the church shouldn't. And just right off the bat, I think we should say, I, we have a ton of empathy for anyone seeking to be married who has kind of teetered on this or gone down this road mm -hmm. of cohabitation uh, because we see this scenario. It's like, yeah, um, honestly, probably 80, 80 to 85 percent of any, every marriage I've ever done uh, has been this kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And I've had to gently talk them through that with mostly success, but some, some yeah. angst. Mm -hmm. But... Um, if you just look at the situation, well, first of all, we're not getting married. We're not getting betrothed at 15 and 16. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, in our, in our era, when you back in the day, I mean, people just marriage just kind of happened earlier. And even if you, you talk to like, you know, my grandparents generation, like it was pretty simple. You go to high school, uh, after high school, you get married or you go to the service mm -hmm. and you, you go to the military and you do your, your couple years and then even during that time, you might get married. Yep. And now we have kind of this extended adolescence, right, where people are going to go to college and then they might get a master's degree. Yeah. Which is kind of becoming what the bachelor's degree used to be. Right, I, I mean, know. People just have this continual, I'm on my parents' health insurance until I'm 26 or something, yeah. you know. And, I mean, you're, you're biologically ready for sexuality um, after puberty, right? right? So you're like, okay, that's a good 10 years of waiting. <laughs> yep. Know? So and it's just not realistic. Yeah. And I, and I think there's something to be said about just paying attention to the biology and trying to give people wisdom to say, look, your desires and your hormones are going to be off the charts. Yeah. And we should maybe pattern our practice of marriage a little bit closer to that. Or it's just not realistic. Well, yeah. And so... Not to rush kids into marriage. I think right, that could we don't be want huge to. failures too. But we also want to have, have young people have a realistic understanding yeah. of marriage. Like we watch the Disney movies and we watch the romantic comedies where you, there's that special somebody out there who's going to complete you. And until you find that person, um, you're kind of a, a, a not complete person yeah. in, in your mind. Because everything in, in society is telling you, unless you have that special somebody and you're having sex, you're not a complete person, which is a total lie. And I think that we as Christians need to push back on that. But, you know, obviously, if there's that special person who is your soulmate out there who's going to complete you, as Jerry Maguire says, um, you, you need to really maybe try it out for a couple of years. Yeah. And, and I also think that people in our generation have just seen divorce. They've experienced, they've been on the other end of their parents getting divorced, and they might say, don't know if I want to run into that marriage thing. But I do want something that 
kind of resembles marriage. Yeah. But yeah. it's just maybe not all, all the way. So yeah, definitely we, we understand the struggle's real, but also we, we want young people to approach marriage with a maturity of saying, God is teaching me to have a, a to have self-control, a sexually pure and decent life, as Luther says in the small catechism. He's asking me to be prayerful about finding a mate and and really to find my completeness in him before I enter into a one flesh union for life. Right. Uh, but also, you know, maybe my wedding doesn't have to be $40,000, $40,000 blow out two years in the making. Um, maybe we're missing the point. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, absolutely. All those things stack up against people. And also I would say this is at least two or three generations deep where this, where the teaching in the families has faltered. Yeah. And so I, again, empathy, because I don't think people are being prepared for this or taught this. Parents aren't sitting down with their kids and saying, look, marriage is awesome. (coughs) You should wait to have sex before marriage. You should just, you're not going to be perfect. Perfect sexuality is not going to save you. Right. But you should aim at that good life because it is good. And when God says, um, you know, sex is in the context of marriage, he's not trying to punish you. No, he's or not. Or be a tyrant. No. He's not. He's actually really providing a good and gracious boundary. Mm-hmm. When, and, and this is what we need to always remember with the law of God, is that whenever God gives you a commandment, which is a boundary, he gives you a boundary because he's protecting something he values. And he's really trying to protect your dignity and the dignity of others. And so we may look at the boundary and say, that's inaccessible. Well, when we fail, we come to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, which flows for us freely. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for the boundary, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. for the standard. Um, now, um, let's talk a little bit about social science kind of stuff, because yeah. like, we, we have scriptural arguments for why cohabitation is not acceptable for for young Christian couples, or even for older Christian couples, because, it, by the way, cohabitation is something that even I've seen seniors do. Yeah, yeah. Know. Mostly for financial and convenience yeah. reasons. But uh, um, let's talk about social science a little bit. Yeah, so I think this is important. It's it's kind of contested, but I think the the best research... I would um, say all social science is contested. Oh, right, but I know. <laughs> the best research really points to... Um, marriage being the gold standard of relationships, in particular for uh, women and for children. Mm-hmm. So cohabitation is kind of a man's game. It's it's kind of uh, on his terms without commitment. And I think there's reasons why men would prefer that. I think there's some, we were talking a little bit yesterday about this, that there is some kind of um, hostility towards men in the law system. So a lot of times men are divorced and taken to the cleaners they lose uh, the rights to their kids, you know, all these things. So it's it's legally risky um, in mm-hmm. our climate right now. So yeah. some men see that. And you see even some men saying, you know, I'm done with marriage. Yeah. I just want to hook up yep. because I don't want to be in that vulnerable place of, you know, legally. Yeah. Yeah. And, but uh, marriage is a fantastic situation for women, mm-hmm. for men, too, and for children. And so that's really... Uh, what all the social science yeah 
the best conclusions are, are not even really that debatable because of how grand the statistics are. Well, we can see this play out that, that families will thrive when there's healthy, good commitment and when there's no question of is who's mom and dad and are they staying and yeah all that. Yep. Yeah. So a quick, uh, I'm going to buzz through some kind of statistics, but uh, there was a really good research um, project done by Dr. Robert Coombs at UCLA. He reviewed 130 studies published on marriage and well-being. So that's a big study. Uh, and he just, he says there's an intimate leak between um, marital status and personal well-being. And virtually every study of mor mortality, so how long you live, and marital status shows the unmarried of both sexes have higher death rates, whether by accident, disease, or self-inflicted wounds. And this is found in every country that maintains accurate health statistics. Hmm. So that's kind of profound. It's like uh, there's something about that companionship that, that brings a healthy life. I'm not saying yeah. that singles can't be healthy, but that it's a right. positive well-being. You know, and, and also I think about um, you might have some couples who might say, hey, you know, our cohabitation situation is not undefined. Like, we're living together because we're engaged and we're going to get married here in six months or three months. So what's the big deal? And, you know, to that, I, I think I would just simply say, um, I, I, I've heard it said before that, um, that your relationship is only as emotionally mature as your first sexual encounter. Hmm. And so that kind of freezes your, your, the maturing of your relationship. Uh, and I, to, have this, to have this time of we're not sleeping together, but we're getting to know each other, we're developing friendship, we're talking through problems, uh, is such a sacred thing. It's a courting time. It's a, it's a time where we're, um, we're really discerning the Lord's will. Is, is this marriage God-pleasing and should we continue with it and then uh, when you when you come into marriage there is this you know official moment where we have publicly committed ourselves mm. and that is the context of our sexuality mm -hmm. and that public commitment isn't just for you it's actually actually for the community so that in the community we have very defined lines with marriage mm. yeah um, and so when couples will say, well, what's the big deal? In six months, we're getting married. Everybody knows we're together. Well, well the, the deal is bigger than you, that when we cohabitate, we are, even if it's for a week before marriage, when we do that, we are, we are kind of demoralizing marriage as an institution for others so that people don't respect that boundary. Hmm. And, but when we repent, when we come to the Lord and we, and we ask for mercy and receive that grace, and then we, we don't live together, which might look weird to our family and friends. Yeah, yeah, it's weird now. Yeah, then we're really exalting the institution of marriage and keeping it sacred for other people, for the next generation. Right. Yeah. So I think the, the social science follows this well, too. So mm -hmm. there was a study done by the National Sex Survey, which is actually really highly respected uh, here in the U.S. They found this, that uh, men were... Who cohabitated before marriage were four times more likely to have cheated on their wives in the past year, and that women who cohabitated before marriage were eight times hmm. more likely to have cheated before marriage. 
Um, and so I think, I think there's, there's a similar mental exercise going on because it's like, can you wait and be, be disciplined and be patient before your public ceremony and before your mm-hmm. um, consummation? Can you do that? Because if you can, then you can probably weather the storms of sexual temptation once you're married. Right. Or at least you're going to have the mindset that's going to allow you to engage that challenge. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not disconnected. Because yeah. pe- some people think we're going to cohabitate before marriage, but then we're going to be completely faithful after marriage. And I think that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a false thought because it says, no, if you're not willing to be patient with your sexuality now, what makes you think you're going to be patient with your sexuality once you're in that committed relationship? Well, and this is one of the reasons why I think that maybe the divorce rate might be higher for those who co- uh, co- can't talk today. Uh, this is the reason I think the divorce rate might be higher for those who cohabitate is, this is speculation, but I think there's something to it, is that if, you, um, if you're sexually active, there's more reason in your mind to stick with it and get married, even if you think you might not mm. want to follow through. What I mean is that once people have been sexually active, there's so much more like invested. It's you've really crossed a boundary of commitment that you don't want to give back. And and so even if like it's maybe not completely a good match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like if couples are not sleeping together and they're even engaged and they realize this is just not gonna work. Yeah. This is not a healthy relationship. We have stuff that we need to deal with. I mean, maybe we need to to, to not get married. You're, you're leaving less behind if you separate and don't get married, whether that's in the dating context or, or the engagement context. But if people are sleeping together as boyfriend-girlfriend or even as just a hookup, uh, kind of a consensual fling, no strings attached, and then it develops into uh, we're living together and we're eventually getting engaged and then eventually getting married, the, the relationship has already been sealed as a one-flesh mm. union, which... God says we're not supposed to, it's, we don't want to pull that apart, right? Yeah, let it, no man separate. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there's more incentive in one's mind to stay yeah. together, even if all the red lights are there. And, mm. and so, so you can, you can um, kind of be shoehorned into a dysfunctional yeah. relationship. Like, I don't think that this should work, but we'll make it work because we've already slept together. Yeah, I like to kind of describe this. You know, I teach eighth graders the sixth commandment sometimes <laughs> and talk about sex and it's kind of like if you've ever used wood glue um, to glue together two pieces of wood. Mm-hmm. When that's there, the wood glue is stronger than the wood once it's, once it's dried and set. So if you try to pull that apart, it doesn't break the glue generally. It breaks the wood. Mm-hmm. It tears some of the wood off. And that's kind of what sexuality does. It bonds people it does. intimately and strongly. Yeah. And you can ask anyone who has gone through a divorce um, or has had... Uh, you know, a really nasty breakup, it tears part of their being away, right? It tears, yeah. tears their heart up, and it takes a long time to mend from that. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, you, I think to be wise with this gift is to know uh, this is important. It's precious, and yeah. we should be cautious with it. So uh, let's take a little bit of time and just talk about theologically, you know, scripturally, you know, why this is a big deal. Um, you know, we kind of sidestep this issue, but in the scriptures, it, the term sexual immorality comes up 
repeatedly, and Jesus talks about it, and Paul talks about it, and um, it is a big deal. In, in, in I mean, Paul is is as stern as to say in, in Galatians that those who practice sexual immorality without repentance will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I yeah, mean, that's like, whoa, Paul. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't sidestep this as a as a church. Like maybe we should be actively having conversations with couples who, who are desiring marriage, so that there can be that repentance, uh, mm. so that we can really let Jesus be the Lord of our sexuality before we come into marriage. And and I think, uh, if we are going to critique homosexuality, um, I in my mind this is a much bigger problem in the church. Yeah, um, because yeah. it's so much more prevalent and accepted. Mm-hmm. And um, if we are just going to address homosexuality without addressing this issue, we are hypocrites. It's hypocritical. Yeah, yeah, we need to be consistent. And there is a beautiful, beautiful, consistent ethic in the scriptures mm-hmm. that's life-giving. Um, and that's what we want to hold to no matter which um, kind of temptation we're struggling with. We want to see that beauty. Can you so help us, Pastor John? What where do where do we find that beauty? How, connect the dots between uh, the scriptures, maybe Ephesians five, and how mm-hmm. we are trying to understand this beautiful mystery of marriage. Well, so typically, I think in our modern Western twenty first century world, whatever you want to call it, we we think that sexuality is about us, when actually sexuality is about Jesus. It's about mm his relationship with the church. It's a reflection of, of even the triune God's love for us, the self-giving love of God. And, and when we think about marriage, we typically think it's all about us. Yeah. I mean, I, I think even about the marriage ceremony, it's like, you know, there are such a th- there's such a thing as a bridezilla or just people, <laughs> you know, just, or just, you know, the groom who is reluctantly kind of, dragged into it finally or? you know game over <laughs> yeah right, <laughs> we came over. and and uh and we he just puts, like help me on his shoes you yeah know, stuff that. like that yeah. where instead of like joyfully entering into this union yeah you know it, it's it's kind of about me and my freedom and what i want and uh but in in the scriptures god has such a better plan and that plan is marriage and sexuality the day of the wedding is is really a reflection of Jesus's relationship with his church and the mm-hmm. church's relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so we're dealing with a very sacred thing. Yeah. And so if we're approaching this sacred thing of sexuality and marriage, then we should do it on God's terms. Yeah, and I think this is important because we don't we don't approach marriage and our ethics with like a rationality or like a pragmatism, you know, like, well, it works for me. Uh, as Christians, we need to rediscover that marriage is, and our sexuality, our whole beings really, but marriage in particular is a reflection of the gospel of Christ and his church, right? So uh, as Paul says in in Ephesians 5, you know, um, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. You know, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Um, Entrust yourselves to your husbands because this is what the church does to for Christ, mm-hmm. and so we are imitating this grand, beautiful picture and trying to live that out as a witness to the world. So there's a spiritual dimension that I think we need to emphasize because it's more than just um, money or pragmatis- pragmatism or uh, individual 
desire. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful. Yeah. You know, that's what we want to be aiming at. So just kind of some final thoughts here. We are going to end here. And uh, in our next episode, we're going to talk about, so what do I do if I'm living in this situation? Or what do I do if my kids are in this situation or grandkids? So what, what's maybe like, a, okay, I've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. He's shown me that this is not a good arrangement. Uh, what do I do practically? We're going to talk about that in the next episode. But I want to just end with, with two thoughts. One is this, um, you know, as I've counseled couples who are cohabitating, one of the things I, I've talked about is what is marriage and how is marriage different than you living together and expressing commitment and being sexually active? Because, okay, at this point, you're living together as if you're married. You're maybe even sharing finances. You're sharing a bed. You're committed to each other for life. But if that is what it is, then why even get married? So what is marriage? And the logic is that, well, marriage is is something, it's absolute commitment. It's that we are committed for life, that we've made vows to each other publicly. Well, if Mm -hmm. that is what marriage is, then why live like you're married before you're married? Um, the, The more we live married when we're not married, the less integrity marriage has Mm. as an actual thing. And so, you know, I think that sometimes we might think of me living together, us living together is being committed, but marriage is super committed. Um, Well, Mm. if marriage is that level of commitment, let's not live as we're married before we're married. Yeah, like Uh, why why just go halfway? Yeah. Go all the way. Did you hear that? Our timer just went off. (laughs) So (laughs) we, we are keeping ourselves to a half an hour. Thanks, timer. Uh, but <laughs> we'll, uh, ju- my final thought is that if you're listening to this and you're like kind of wrecked a little bit with guilt and, or maybe you feel that tinge of guilt, but you're trying to like justify it and run away from it, yeah. like just really come to the Lord and, and just admit that you're wrong. Admit that you've made mistakes. Admit that you, you maybe you didn't even know it was wrong, but mm. you've realized it now. Mm. And God is so merciful. And he, he, He's brought this to your attention, not to shame you, but to bring you back gently to him, to forgive you, to cleanse you, to restore you, to heal Mm -hmm. you. Because God doesn't want you to have even an ounce of shame about your sexual relationship. The goal here is that you would have a lifelong, healthy, beautiful sexual relationship with your spouse. And so we're not dealing with shame. We're dealing with, let's come to God receive his forgiveness and once you confess your sin and you receive forgiveness and you repent you don't have to live in shame or guilt yeah it's right restart absolutely so christ christ bears that shame amen so there's the end of uh episode one on cohabitation we have one more coming up so stay tuned